equity looks like us having the conversation right now, not waiting to have the conversation. And I know that we all have different approaches to what that looks like. And no approach is a wrong approach. I just think that they're just different. This is the time to really hold everybody accountable. Nobody cares what you say anymore. No one's going for the talk. Show me. We're back. You're going to want to stay around for this one. This is Blue Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of what equity looks and feels like from varying perspectives. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. Today, I have two amazing guests to offer their input on the inaugural Fluid Truth Roundtable. Tala Pollard is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Day Pitney, LLC. And Sansare Cicero is the founder and president of the Society of Human Engagement and Business Alignment. We jumped right into the conversation of what equity looks like for Black women. The conversation was right on time, and you have it right here at Fluid Truth. All right, this is Fluid Truth. I have some amazing women to discuss with us tonight. Great, good, good. I'm glad to see you tonight. I'm glad that you're on the show. Thank you for agreeing to talk with us. So as with normally, what we like to jump into on Fluid Truth is the conversation of equity. But for tonight, for our topic, I want to drill down a little bit. And I'm really questioning and I'm really curious. What are your thoughts on the equity of Black women now? And, you know, that's informed by our personal or professional experiences. And then we'll go into further about what we need to do to change the trajectory. So ladies, please jump in. What are your thoughts on equity for Black women now? I think there's still a long ways to go. We've made some leeway. We've made some huge leaps and bounds. But I think that if you even start at the pay gap, we still have quite a ways to go. I I agree. I think there's so much that we can talk about under the umbrella of this topic. Um, I think San hit one of the main areas, which is the pay gap. So pay equity is a place to start. I was actually going to start with representation, but representation is so multi- uh, 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 fold, I guess. You know, when I think about representation, I think about our first uh, vice president. Um, and, And I think about how just from an optics perspective, that represents a lot, right? That's a first. And then I think about the flip side of that coin where it's still 20, 20 something early and we're having the conversation about the first black female anything. So it's like as much as you can recognize and acknowledge progress, it almost is a reminder of how much work there is to do because you can't just stop at representation. We have not yet arrived. So I think, you know, if you look at representation, that's a good place to start. That's a good indication of progress. But it's unfortunately, the fact is it's only a step. 
So it's representation, it's the pay gap, it's true leadership, it's acknowledgement of accomplishments. Um, it's, it's equity across the board. I don't know in what area it wouldn't include. And it and it's how about mind your business? So I'm about to go there, right? Because Roe versus Wade, you know, surely knows me. I'm a I'm a push the envelope. I'm gonna push the envelope about, you know. The, the separation of church and state, is it really, though? Because at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to have the Crown Act. We have to have H.R. 40. We, we have to have all of these um, laws and, and, you know, these these um, to push the envelope on the fact that we deserve not just a seat at the table, but a voice. And so if we're still fighting for our voice today around what we can do with our own bodies, then are we really talking about equity? Like, is is that the the topic of discussion? Is that the focus? Is that the root of the problem? And and when it comes to Black women um, within our respective industries, I think that it goes a lot deeper than that. You know, I think that is symptomatic of something deeper that we have yet to, to scratch the surface on. So let me jump in for a second because you just hurt my feelings by mentioning the Crown Act and for all the right reasons, though. And what you're saying, Tara, about representation, I have a lot of thoughts on that. and We can jump into that. And what you're saying, Sansare, about the pay gap, very significant. But just pause for a second. Despite the need for it. I was so offended when the Crown Act became so necessary and so celebrated, not because I think we're not worth it, of course, not because I think that our crowns should be any way that they come out of our head, any way we decide to press it, any any way it decides to be curled, we're allowed to do that. But the mere fact that I felt like I needed to justify my existence, that was frustrating to me. And that, that still hurts my feelings. I mean, I'm glad we have it, but... I'm still hurt over that. So that how do we show up? Yeah. And and you know what? People have been telling us how to show up all our lives. I mean, you know, Tara can attest to the fact that growing up in HR, because I literally had 27 years in HR, grew up in, in the industry. And so people would tell me how I could and couldn't wear my hair all the time sitting at the table with individuals who did not look like me and that I just needed to be happy that I had a seat at the table. And so for me to have my hair straight and for me to be of lighter skin and for me to speak uh, articulately is what they would call it, not realizing that was a backhanded uh, insult. Um, it, you know, that those are the things that when we start talking about and digging into equity, those are the conversations that most people don't want to rip the Band-Aid off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're what's being... Um I guess, suited or called or titled courageous conversations, you know, in corporate circles. What's funny to me about that term even is just the thoughts that it conjures up courageous. My approach is if you have a connection and if you're engaging with your employees, when you have conversations, they're just conversations. It doesn't have to be anything courageous about it. Now, if you have to address someone about something sensitive, and you haven't taken the time to get to know them, that's a different thing. Um, but I digress. Uh, back to, you know, a lot of the um, really important issues and concerns that, that Sam brought up. That That's really what I, what you know, what I said 
beyond representation, what does that mean? Not just the optics, not just having a seat to say you have a seat, not just being appointed the head of diversity at a firm to say that they have someone who's a dedicated resource, but actually to have the space um, and the, you know, the opportunity to show your expertise um, in certain fields, across certain disciplines, at those decision-making tables is what we're talking about. So uh, the representation piece, again, is a key step. But there's a lot of work behind that that needs to happen to uh, really walk that talk and to really demonstrate through actions what that means and essentially what that means to every, I won't say every, to the majority of those who have the seats and feel like those seats belong to them is that you have to make space, which means that privilege that you have that that has afforded you the position that one of those seats is entitled to you, you just have to rethink that and back that up because it's not entitled to you. Uh, You may not have it or have as much space as you, you know, have been conditioned to. And that's really what inclusion and true representation means. And so I understand that this might be new or you know, a little offensive or intimidating to those who, again, have um, enjoyed full access for so long, whether or not it was deserved or the credentials, you know, were such that they rightfully earned it. Um, but that's what inclusion, demonstrated action, true true um, representation means behind the optics. So bringing that up, you reminded me, and I just had to look it up. Um, It's the quote by Frederick Douglass. And I had to look it up because I misquote it all the time. But there's that part that says power concedes nothing without a demand. So when we're talking about needing to make space, how willing are our counterparts and our colleagues? How willing are they to make space? Because if you're in a position of power, why would you concede? Why would you give space to someone else to sit at the table? You can just imagine what I just drank was tea because it's okay as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. As long as it doesn't change anything for me and my family or um, if as long as it doesn't put me uh, on the opposite end of, of being able to move ahead and get ahead. And so I, I think that, you know, there is something to be said about corporate spaces, but showing up unapologetically in any space, in any space. And so when we talk about equity, we talk about being unapologetic to show up the way that we are in any space at any time. Why do we have to feel like we need permission? I'm not asking anybody for permission for anything anymore outside of the permission for me to enter a space that's not mine. But if you invite me into a space, you better believe I'm coming in and I'm thinking about owning the whole goddamn thing. Excuse my French. But at the end of the day, we're doing this unapologetically and it makes people uncomfortable because there have been parameters put around us for so freaking long 
And even myself, I, I think about going back a decade or two and, and living in the industry of HR and how I censored and silenced myself because I knew it would make other people uncomfortable to bring up certain subjects. And is this the right place or time to have this conversation? Right. We heard we often hear pick and choose your battles. But are we really picking and choosing our battles for the right reasons? When we start to talk about equity, are we really talking about equity for the purpose of what equity truly is? Or are we talking about a bigger subject? So are we picking and choosing our battles just to play small? And like you said, to make others comfortable. And again, that's going back to, you know, this additional thought that like Tom Tara was putting out there about um, having this space being made for you. But by the same token, San, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying you're going to make your own space. You make the space. Exactly. Oh. That's what she said. Oh. So let me let's let's dig into that a little more. Right. About making so. space. Say so. What I love about this particular era that we're in, as volatile and uncertain as it is, there's almost a cert, there's almost a level of freedom to, to do what we have never been able to do before. This is what I mean. So we talk about courageous conversations. We mentioned that before. There's this, there's this not so new theme, right? Post George Floyd, I think it, 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 it skyrocketed about bringing your whole self to work, being authentic, you know, how that boosts productivity and engagement um, and morale, right? So what I love about this era is, and I mentioned this when we had this conversation before, we almost have carte blanche to be more honest, more transparent than we ever have before. And to probably, at least in my case, say some things that I have been waiting to say that needed to be heard decades ago. Uh, For example, when I have, you know, one of those opportunities to enlighten one of my majority colleagues um, and we have a conversation that makes them feel uncomfortable to San's point about leaning into this, into that discomfort, because that's how you grow, right? That's what that inclusion looks like in real action. So when I'm having one of these honest conversations with a colleague, with a peer, um, and we're not seeing things eye to eye and they feel personally offended, this is my opportunity to, and I'm just going to say honestly what it is, use your own words against you. So those courageous conversations that we talk to our employees about having, this is what this feels like in real time. And you're probably offended because you need to do some work. You need to make sure that you're connected with your own biases because you can give me direct and honest feedback that I won't take personally because I appreciate and respect your opinion. You may even you know, show me a perspective that I didn't see. But the fact that you're offended by something that isn't a personal attack to me is an indication that you need to do some work. So that whole making space, that's what that looks like in real time. That's how that feels. The other side, right? The receiving person on the other side of that conversation or dialogue, that's uncomfortable. You know what? That's okay. Because people who look like me live 
in an uncomfortable situation every single day. We adapt to it. We've grown from it. Um, and I promise you, it won't kill you. So these are the kinds of conversations that I can have in the workplace that I wasn't having before. It's interesting too, when, you know, you choose to do this HR or working with people or understanding people or inclusion work, you know, for your profession, especially when you're a black woman, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, a triad. It's you living your life personally as a black woman and everything that that means. If you're a mother, it's you raising children in this very racist, anti-black world and society, society, right? Having conversations that I've never had to have. Um, my parents never had to have with, with, with us. Um, and then also when you do this for your career, you know, that's the other component of your life. So that's no time out. That's no taking a break. That's this kind of stuff all the time. And what I find interestingly enough is how much of what I do professionally flows over into my personal life, right? Example, right? I'm at some float spa place um, locally and I walk in with my very good friend who happens to be white. I walk in first and the reception person acknowledges my friend, which is fine because the reservation for two people was under her name. But then when the conversation continued without even an acknowledgement of me standing there as another human being, I walked away from the counter and I sat down. And when my girlfriend came over and kind of noticed my energy change and asked what what happened, I was like, I was just standing there for, I don't know what felt like an eternity. Maybe it was just a few minutes, but not to be acknowledged. What am I standing there for? So when I said that and she realized it, she was just, she just kind of realized what happened, right? Because she's probably not as conditioned to those situations as we are. So we do the appointment, come out. She's waiting in the car for me, my friend. And on the way home, she says, because I meant to say something to the woman before I left, right? Because I can't talk about those conversations and say I do that professionally and not be true to that in my personal life. But I had forgotten. And my friend says to me, oh, I had the conversation with that woman while you were still there. And I said, what did you say? And she said, I told her exactly what happened and how she made you feel and that I didn't appreciate it. And, you know, that's what advocacy looks like, right? That's what being supportive of a right cause looks like in real action. And I told her, I was like, well, one day I'm going to have to obviously, you know, bring this into some uh, 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 session that I facilitate because, again, this is what it looks like in, in real time, demonstrated action. So equity on all fronts, being acknowledged when you walk into a place of business as a paying customer. And this is why I love Tara, right? She takes that approach as more of the Martin approach and I'm taking more of the Malcolm approach. Why? why tell me why you mad. Tell me why you mad right now. Help me understand. And I've been in HR for a minute, but help me understand why you're taking this situation that I should be taking personal. Why are you uncomfortable right now? Let's dig into that because I want to understand. Maybe I did something wrong. Let's let's have this conversation. We're going to have this conversation with the coin flipped over on the tail side. Yeah, we're not talking heads up. We're talking tails up, right? Because... Oftentimes, 
definitely the Malcolm approach. So at the end of the day, (laughs) you know, oftentimes we have been in so many spaces where we haven't been acknowledged. I was just in a Starbucks and I will say that in a Starbucks two weeks ago where they didn't acknowledge that I was standing there and they took someone that didn't look like me that was of Anglo descent and they, they offered that individual service and I'm still standing there. And so when I decide to walk away, they're looking at me, but I look back and I say, you know, that's not okay. And for the person who decided to walk in front of me, knowing that this is what was happening, you didn't even advocate or hold anyone accountable for the fact that I wasn't acknowledged. None of that was okay. No, we're holding people accountable in the moment. Like that that's what equity looks like. Equity looks like us having the conversation right now, not waiting to have the conversation. And I know that we all have different approaches to what that looks like. And no approach is a wrong approach. I just think that they're just different. Absolutely. That's right. And now you said something very interesting, Tara, about um, having these bring no, sorry, about bringing your authentic self to like workspaces and other spaces. And I have zero pushback on that because I agree now is a time, but I am not certain that our country is ready for black women to be their authentic selves. Too bad. The work- <laughs> say so. Bad. Say it louder. You know what? So what because happens then? The world wasn't ready for a pandemic and to be shut down. That but guess what? Everybody figured it out. So that's what I mean. This is the time to really hold everybody accountable. Nobody cares what you say anymore. No one's going for the talk. Show me. It's all demonstrated action and behavior. That is the time that we are in post-George Floyd, post the pandemic. It's show me now. I don't want to hear anything because we've heard everything right now. So that, that's what's different. That's how you call out and hold people accountable on every front to San's point. So in instances that she described, when you have, again, those people taking privileges in that moment. Okay. So that appointment I described, it was a float appointment. I, I was relaxed, half sleep, walking out, protecting my energy and taking all that peace with me when I left. I'm in Starbucks, have somewhere to go. And I'm trying to come in here and get what I need to fuel my day. I'm going to step in front of the person placing the order and make sure that the person on, you know, behind um, the cash register is taking my order. Y'all can figure out why I'm doing this when I leave. But because I was here first and at least the person behind me knows that I was here first, that's how I'm going to handle that situation. So yeah, making space. And in those professional situations where they don't like what's being said, again, you hit them with all those words that are models on their diversity page. Diversity is a core value. Bring I love your whole that. authentic self to work. Now, I here's the other that. thing about post-pandemic responses, right? A lot of these firms up their diversity departments, created diversity uh, uh, positions, uh, boosted their diversity pages, did all that overhauling. How many took the time to make sure on the leadership side that we were skilled up with those competencies necessary to manage all of that newness that has never been a part of the corporate environment ever? Nobody thought about that. Quite a few of them did do that because they needed to show that they had a DEI program to offset 
uh, and combat what was happening uh, around the world to, you know, support their employees. The problem is who calibrated the rollout of those programs? What, what did they do? Who held the allies and the advocates accountable for ensuring that whatever plan was put in place was executed properly. And we went back and had those follow-up conversations to ensure that they were effective. That is a a problem. A number of them, all of them can say, oh, I have a DEI program. I have a supplier diversity program. I have all these, we care about, you know, all of these different, you know, diversity and these, you know, inclusion and these, these cross sectors, of diversity. And and so when we get to that intersection of what it looks like, blah, 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 they could spit it out. But is it reflective of what your employees would actually say about your culture? And that is the difference. The difference is your culture calibrates your programs. And if your culture is not speaking to the program that you've implemented, that's a whole different discussion. So as much as you laid that out, because that's what we do, and it is as simple as any business strategy, we know that our business partners and our majority counterparts, when you say diversity, inclusion, equity, their brains go haywire, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the intersection of head and heart. And they don't do that. They're not well practiced at that, especially in a corporate environment. So uh, with all of what San said so uh, polished and masterfully, um, at the end of the day, it's no. They went. They they might have had diversity programs. They might have had some training. There was no accountability, and it was not followed up by demonstrated actions and behaviors um, or anything that was sustainable or repeatable or um, recorded. Um, you know, over time to really mark the kinds of differences and strides they need to make. I mean, just look at the represent the leadership representation of many or most of the companies, and you can see that there's no real change. And then you're asking Um, us, right, Tara? So then they're coming back to us as the uh, individuals who have excelled in these organizations and they want us to be subject matter experts and and they want us to say, okay, so tell us how we can get better. Why are you asking me? Like, I'm the one that's been historically traumatized. (laughs) My ancestors are the ones who've been historically traumatized. You're asking me to teach you how to get better when all you taught me to be was afraid. How am I having this conversation with you? Girl, that's heavy right there. That's heavy right there. Because now you're asking the, uh, well, I dare not call us oppressed because we are not, but you're acting the victimized to find their own solutions. And I really want us to talk about the pay gap because that sounds like when you're talking about the lack of action, Tara, and the lack of sustainable changes, that's what I hear going right back to what you said before, San, about Okay, you want to demonstrate that there is some equity in our practices and and that we're able to really embrace the skill set and the knowledge base of of everyone. But if we're speaking specifically about black women, pay me what I'm worth. Let's see that reflected. Pay me what I'm worth. You 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 want to see me continue to do this work. Pay me what I am worth. And so when you start to talk about the great resignation, people got it. They figured it out. You're not paying me what I'm worth. You're not putting respect on my name. <laughs> you 
there, there is no true equity. And so they started figuring it out. So at the end of the day, when you start to really talk about gender equality, pay equality, you start to talk about race equality, social equality, all of these things wrapped up in what? What is it? What does it equate to? Worth. It is all about worth. And that is the root of the problem that nobody is having that discussion around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Worth and value, right? That's the other translation, another way to describe worth. Uh, what What's one of the ways that we're showing them, and that's the other thing too, is we're not even asking for what we're due. I love how the vernacular around it, the language, the energy around it has changed. No one's begging anymore for anything. It's, I know what I'm worth. It's not, here's what I'm worth and what do you think? The conversations are shifting to, I know my value. I know what I bring to the organization. Um, I know how I add to the culture. So, and my work speaks for itself. Um, So either you're going to pay me for what I'm worth or we'll show you with our feet because we'll leave. That great resignation, that's that's the term for that. Um, So I think a lot of people took the time to do some reflecting and make decisions about what's important, reprioritizing life um, and just making decisions that make them happy, not doing, you know, what's expected because of my background or my uh, uh, pedigree or, uh, uh, you know, what my degrees say I should be doing, but doing the work that I'm passionate about, the work that's important, the work that makes a difference and the stuff that matters. Um, and, and, and that's what those are some of the things that led to this great resignation. I mean, with so much loss and so much shifting in the world and so many unprecedented things happening where people, you know, we're already not promised tomorrow, but my goodness, with what was, you know, wreaking havoc, we were wondering how many more minutes we were promised, right? Some of us. So I think besides all of, you know, what was lost and, you know, what's really hard to even think about, the reassessment that a lot of folks made um, may have changed the trajectory and the paths of their lives or some of our lives for the better. Um, where, you know, we're moving more to our own rhythm, our own drum and making the decisions that are best for our lives and not so much for all the other people, things, companies, organizations, associations um, that we let, you know, take priority over what's important to us. So then we shift into mental health and self-care and how we really had to make concerted um, efforts, intentional decisions around creating space for peace in our personal lives. For some of us, learning what that looks like. New for me. I thought going to the gym was finding peace, right? Um, you know, you know, getting out frustration through going to the gym. No, that's not different. From, that's different from finding peace, meditating, self-reflection, um, really putting as much energy into ourselves um, as we do at least I can speak personally for everyone else and everything else that we are responsible for or accountable to on some level. And um, how it and and trying to transition into that has been a struggle, right? 
so that you know, we, we could talk about it. We've been conditioned to be worker bees. We haven't been conditioned to uh, put self-care uh, in front of, of of us to make it a priority so that we can have healthy conversations and healthy relationships and healthy households and healthy children. Nobody cared about that when um, they were looking for us to do the work at the end of the day. You know, we figured it out on our own because we had to. We had to. And so when you start to talk about equity, equity is the underbelly, is the undertone of everything that we build who we are off of. And most people want to equate that to the pay gap. They want to equate that to, you know, status, you know, to Tara's point, doesn't oftentimes rest on your pedigree or your, your, um, you know, collegiate status. It doesn't rest on that. It rests on the fact of who we are and who we show up as when we're in those spaces, because I promise you, People will treat you the way that you exude your confidence. If you come in that space, like you're not owning it, like you don't know who you are, they will tell you who you are. You're giving that person the right to tell you who you are if you're not showing up telling them. I'll tell you, take that a step further. (laughs) And it's making me laugh even thinking about saying this. They, they, they have, not will have, real, real talk, have the gall to try to tell you who you are or who you think you should be, even when you're clear about who you are. So you have to tell them and tell them and then show them who you are frequently and multiple times sometimes until they get it. And multiple times may mean in different conversations with the same people coming back at them in the same way that demonstrates you're not going to talk to me like that, even if you have to use those words. And I'm not saying, excuse me, I'm not saying respectfully. No, I might say, who are you talking to? Like, I, you know, but you will not, you know, you won't talk to me that way. It's just not, that's not how we're going to engage. So, um, that's consistency, yeah, so that's it. though, right? You consistently show. You have to consistently show up, otherwise they won't believe you. Mm-hmm. But that's just what you said earlier in your examples, mm-hmm. both of your examples, that you're living this. Mm-hmm. So it's not just in terms of your your professional space that you're, you know, holding people accountable. When you go into the grocery store, when someone step in front of you in line, or whatever it is, you have to be able to tell people who you are all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be some of the weight that black women hold, not to the exclusion of others, but just just being real with how we have to hold ourselves. Mm-hmm. We always have to re- readdress or, or correct or put it right in front of people again. But, and, and we can almost wrap up on this part, but how about, and I'm expecting Tara to tell me something good. What about when you do that and now you're labeled angry? aggressive, can't work with people, not a team player. What then? Again, these times, they're the best and the worst. Um, uh, So we have the uh, space now, the stars have aligned (laughs) such that, right? And I've I've said this since really early, almost post-pandemic times where, um, or post-George Floyd, uh, 
it feels like for those of us who have been in this inclusion space literally for decades, it feels like the world is now realizing what we've known forever, that this stuff is real. It's important. It has it's a real business imperative. And yes, it calls and requires you to do some things that you may have never been asked to do in your professional experience or career. Um, So to answer that question is you take all of the energy out of everything by putting it all on the table. Um, Some of the ways that I like to do it. And so what I'm told, I'm I'm not the first one to have the type of role that I have um, at the organization that I work work at, the director of diversity. Uh, They were forward thinking enough to have this role in this particular industry, which is way behind the inclusion curve um, for for about 10 years. So we, you know, I can say they're ahead of the curve industry-wise in that regard. Um, however, I understand, you know, the value that I bring and that I do things a little differently. Um, what one would call authentically. Um, you know, I don't personally or professionally, I hate to connect with people on the surface level or it to be forced. Organic connections, that's that's my, where my energy is, that's how I vibe, that's how I move. Um, so in instances where I'm being transparent and honest and bringing my whole self forward as they have asked us to do time and time again, I will say, you know, in other instances or in some circles, what happens typically when black women uh, specifically express ourselves, honestly, we're labeled as angry, aggressive. I'll call it out so that they don't have that excuse to use because you can't use that label because this accountability thing, I'm just going to tell you how this label has been used in the past. And if that's somewhere in your thinking, you probably have to do some self-reflecting to, to ask yourself why those terms come up for you. Um, and so I think I probably saw this meme on social media, but I love it. It's something to the effect of, and I won't get the words right, um, I'm not taking from anyone that I am, but that I'm offensive. Um, if you are offended, then you need to do some search, self-searching to find out what it is that triggers that in you. But I'm not apologizing for being honest and for being transparent. I always say that when, when find myself saying that in so many situations, when someone does or says something that triggers you or that uh, uh, brings up a conjures up a certain response for you before you go to that person for what they need to change, really think about why that landed and triggered what it triggered in you because you can't stop anyone from saying anything. You can't censor anyone else's, you know, speech. You know, there are things that are deemed appropriate and not, and no, you know, we shouldn't try to be offensively intentionally and assume positive intent, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, accountability looks like, let me sit back and really think about, you know, why I'm thinking about a response instead of listening and why that landed for me where it did and conjured up that kind of feeling. I just think that, you know, to Tara's point and, and something we alluded to earlier, it's it's just being unapologetic to show up the way that we have been um, born to show up and not leaning into who we are uh, authentically, but calling it courageous. That's just who we are. 
you know, we, we put all these words uh, around, uh, you know, these descriptors around how we are supposed to show up to make everyone else comfortable. But what about how we are just supposed to show up authentically, quote unquote, right? That's the buzzword. That's just the way we're supposed to. That's who we're born to be. That's that's who God made us. Uh, oh, Allah, the son, whoever you decide that you want to worship today. That is who we are at our core. And so if we are really leaning into our true selves, then being unapologetic about all of that is truly showing up the way that we are supposed to show up every day. I think that is a good space to put a comma but just for a little bit, you guys have given so much. You ladies have given so much to just kind of reflect on and marinate on and let that settle in. We're talking from the courageous conversations to our authentic selves. But regardless, as black women, I'm glad that you both showed up. So thank you so much. Thank you for this conversation. And can I have a to be continued? Is that Absolutely. all right? With thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for creating this space and providing this forum um, because these conversations are long overdue and they need to be had regularly. For sure. Ladies, thank you so much for the way that you showed up and and the way that you just are you. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our executive producer, David DeRoche, and shout out to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QPodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is QUPodcast at QU.edu. All right. That's it for today. Till next time.